from The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. The seasons long for each other, like men and women, in order that they may be cured of their excesses. Spring, if it lingers more than a week beyond its span, starts to hunger for summer to end the days of perpetual promise. Summer, in its turn, soon begins to sweat for something to quench its heat, and the mellowest of autumns will tire of gentility at last and ache for a quick, sharp frost to kill its fruitfulness. Even winter, the hardest season, the most implacable, dreams, as February creeps on, of the flame that will presently melt it away. Everything tires with time and starts to seek some opposition to save it from itself. This is Gothic. Tonight's guest voices are Richard Southerd of the Adventurer's Vault podcast and Isaac Sutherland and Josh S. Godioso of the Strangers in the Pines podcast. Gigi's internal monologue on discovery of the doll at the end of the last episode. Oh my god! What is that? Oh, I don't want to touch it. Oh, please tell me it's not made out of human skin. I would know, right? It would feel different than this. Well, it hasn't murdered me with a big knife yet, so that's something. So, Annabelle, who put you here? Does someone on this godforsaken island think they're practicing voodoo? That they're going to pick up a doll and make Allison fly around the room like in Scooby-Doo? In this town, in this region, who knows what these people think voodoo's supposed to look like. Pins stuck in Barbies. <laughs> so it's a threat, then? Or someone's out to frighten Allison? Exploding mirror? You could do that with, with firecrackers or something? We'll figure that out in the morning. But the car? People cut brake lines and things, right? Couldn't someone cause a car to reverse instead of drive? Ugh, I'm a San Franciscan, not a mechanic. I'll get the sheriff to look at it if they ever manage to drag the thing out of the bay. And, in the meantime, whatever message you have for Allison Poppet, well, you're not going to give it to her. We'll find a nice spot for you right... right in... Oh, son of a motherless goat. These pajamas have no pockets. It's a new day, and the sun is... Not shining brightly, but shining a bit dimly through the overcast. Uh, the snow has uh, it turned to mist and a bit of a drizzle and took off some of the snowfall that had fallen the night before. Not all of it, but it's a lot patchier than you might have thought it would be. And um, shortly before noon, a messenger arrived to tell uh, Carl and Gigi and Allison and the others who are staying at the Spirit Bay Lodge that the meeting for the reading of the will would occur at one o'clock at the law offices of Hart, 
and Hart, Number 1 Main Street, Spirit Bay, Elk Island, Washington. Now, someone else also got notification of that, and they might not have been expecting such, but it arrives by text. So, <laughs> in any case, um, Jason, you uh, receive a text message uh, from the law offices of Heart and Heart, uh, informing you that the meeting will be at one o'clock at the aforementioned location. And welcome back, Jesse. Woo! Hello. Woo! I get a text. That's how I come into the story. I get a text. You get a text. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you um, want? <laughs> Skywriting? <laughs> as as suspicious as as I am of the whole situation anyway, um, that they found me that they found my phone number and was able to text me kind of throws me off for a moment. And I mean, considering everything that I have witnessed recently, I think it's just time to bite the bullet and find out what's going on. So it's like, well, all right, I guess uh, one o'clock at the offices. All right. How about Gigi and Carl? Well, I assume I'm still staying in, uh, uh, I believe I spent the night in Allison's room. You spent the night in Allison's room. That is correct. Allison, I assume, is also going towards the law offices of Heart and Heart. So I would like to invite her to ride along with me in my rental since she no longer has a functional vehicle. uh, Hers being on the bottom of the bay. Carl, if I remember correctly, the law offices weren't that far away, but I'd gotten a motorcycle ride up to the lodge. Yes, and in fact, Skeen uh, Marcotte knocks on your door, Carl. Why, hello. Uh, uh, yes, hello. And Skeen laughs at your discomfort and says, Well, old man, I thought you might want to ride down to the, uh, down to the meeting. Oh, uh, that, that would be wonderful. You, uh, thank you for thinking of me. And they uh, just uh, push a helmet into your uh, hands. And so it is that uh, we find ourselves in the venerable law offices of Hart and Hart. This is one of the oldest buildings in Spirit Bay. Uh, it was one of the first ones built. Uh, it uh, anchors Main Street, essentially. It occupies the spot where a bank would in any other town, but the bank in Spirit Bay is a a rather um, slapdash affair that's about halfway down Main Street and in a a building that if bank robberies, you know, happened as much as they did in the Wild West, it would be being robbed all the time. (laughs) But the law offices of Heart and Heart, on the other hand, are considerably more fortified. The building is brick. It is tall and looming. It has wide steps that lead up to the main doors where the lettering appears to be in gold leaf that says Heart and Heart Law Offices. Uh, You are ushered inside by the secretary, and she ushers you into a conference room that is um, down a a long and and gloomy hallway. The lighting inside is, at best, dim. The conference room is musty and has an ancient and heavy wood 
uh, table that runs the length of this uh, this chamber, which isn't huge, but it's not a small space either. There is plenty of room for the number of people who have gathered here. How many people is that? Well, that would be a number of people, like I said. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad it's not a letter of people. It is a letter of people. It's it's uh it's that little I in italics. Seven. Seven people. Gigi, you recognize, of course, Allison, and you met Skeen as well. And you also recognize Carl uh, from the previous night, with whom you chatted with and discovered was your uncle at that time. And um, that is, I believe, the extent of your recognizing anyone. Oh, except, no, that's not quite true. Uh, you do, in fact, recognize two others who are here. Uh, you recognize them uh, only because they were at a party that you attended, one with very bad punch. Oh, it was just awful. I was sick for a day. And so uh, let's get their descriptions right now. Um, William Kitteridge, would you be so kind as to describe yourself? You see a man in his early 50s with salt and pepper hair that's trimmed neatly and pulled back with a pair of gold frame half spectacles kind of sitting on his nose in a nice sort of navy blue tailored suit. He sort of has a has a general air of mild disdain towards just about everything around him. But other than that, he just sort of looks like a well-tailored um, older man. He is Caucasian, by the way. I'm pretty sure Gigi dislikes him instantly. And uh, then you also recognize... Uh, William Kitteridge's brother, Kit. Kit, would you be so kind? So Kit is standing uh, uh, kind of behind his brother. Not that behind is like a, uh, uh, you know, an easy thing to do in a room like this, but he somehow managed to at least get the concept across. But uh, um, he's uh, got, you know, a fairly uh, athletic build, um, more, more like a runner's build, I would say, you know, kind of scrawny, but uh, uh, still muscular. And uh, yeah, he's about 40. And ne standing next to William, uh, uh, he is, you know, uh, you don't you don't really notice much about him. He's very forgettable. Allison, by the way, Gigi, um, has a rather more caustic reaction to the sight of William than you did. You see it on her face as there's just this look of horror uh, comes over her, which, you know, is to be expected given what she says she saw in the mirror last night. Yeah, I do that. I do that thing where I like, you know, hold her shoulders in solidarity. Uh, Carl, you probably do not recognize the Kitteridges, uh, I would think. Would you concur? Uh, I concur. And none of you recognize uh, the other figure who is here. Would you be so kind as to describe yourself, Jason? Uh, yeah, uh, Jason is mid-30s male, um, average size, uh, slightly athletic, mid-length blonde hair, dresses not shabby, but I'm trying to think of the word, uh, not shabby and not expensive, well-made, um, so that the clothing are serviceable um, and look like they will be for a long time. Jason uh, has a very interesting feature about him, though, um, that people recognize pretty quickly. 
when you look into his eyes, you can see that they're of two different colors. He's got one blue and one green. He's got heterochromia. He doesn't give off any kind of direct air that you can sense other than he seems like he could either be in front of an audience and uh, showing off all of his goods, but he also seems like he could slip into the shadows and be unnoticed. And then, of course, there is um, Skeen Marcotte. They are wearing their motorcycle leathers today, as always, over a Metallica t-shirt. Allison uh, today had to borrow some more clothes from Gigi. So uh, what's Allison looking like uh, this afternoon? Well, um, you know, pants you can wear multiple days in a row and no one will really notice. So I imagine she's using the same pair of pants. But I've given her a a um, a dark blue blouse with... Uh, with some some ruffles up at the neck and it's like laced down the back and then the uh, wrists kind of come into these like poofs of also ruffles. Is this the just your extra stuff or is this what you normally wear yourself? Oh, it's what I always wear. Did you dress up to come to the uh, reading of the will or? I've got a um, kind of a, you know, that very like warm brown color uh, vest over a a uh, paler brown shirt with uh, poofy pirate sleeves. And Carl, how are you presenting yourself here at the reading? Carl is, he's hes a man that's always been well-kept. He always presents himself well, but not necessarily fancy. A simple man. So he has, you know, a, a pair of old worn jeans, a, a, a nice button-down shirt, and then the old jacket that he purchased when he got here. Uh, yet you can see that he doesn't look well rested. His hair isn't uh, quite where he'd like it to be, and he's got some bags under his eyes more than normal. Uh, and he seems a little, a uh, little more bothered. Uh, you know, like Gigi had seen him before, where he seemed very, very collected. And now Carl just seems off. All right, and Carl, uh, you are distracted, but uh, you're also looking around at uh, presumably uh, the the members of the family that at least the members of the family that uh, your brother uh, thought worthy of being here for the reading of the will. What, what are your thoughts? I think going to study their reactions, look to see who knows who, who looks uh, at each other with those, those eyes of recognition uh, and, and who doesn't and who looks questioningly over at me. Now, William, you do know who Carl Kane is, uh, the brother of Lazarus Kane, uh, who would be your uncle. So what kind of look are you giving him? He's kind of looking at everything, every person in the room, including uh, Allison, um, sort of in the same sort of general light. But as he looks to Carl Kane, his face kind of lights up a little bit, and he, he has sort of a small, sort of collected smile on his face as he gives a nod. It's good to see you, Uncle Uncle Carl. Uh, about that time, a a tall, gaunt man enters the room. He has immaculately quaffed gray hair, almost white, but he's not necessarily particularly old, perhaps in his 50s. Uh, but his face has the air more of a mausoleum director than a lawyer, but it is a lawyer who he most also certainly is, as he 
enters, looks around at everyone, and says, I'm glad you all could make it. I am Wolfgang Hart, senior partner here at Hart and Hart Law Offices. And I am glad that you are all here safe and sound. And at that, he looks particularly at uh, Allison uh, and then gives a glance and a nod to Gigi. And uh, then he goes again and he looks over everyone and he says, and I know that this is perhaps a sad and mournful time for some of you. Uh, I do not know your personal connections to the deceased, our long-term client and friend, Lazaro Kane, but I know that he wanted all of you to be here today. Uh, we will, in a few moments, start uh, the presentation, which is a video will. Your relative has uh, taped a a message to you. Um, we do have paperwork for you to sign afterwards that the will is, of course, more complex than what is stated in the video, but this is how he wished to present it to you. So, if you all would take seats, thank you very much, and he waits for you to do so. Jason, of course, will be the last one to sit. <laughs> Who do you wind up sitting next to, Jason? Uh, it turns out I'm between William and Carl. Wolfgang makes sure that everyone is settled, and then he reaches into his immaculately tailored suit and pulls out a small remote control. He pushes a button on it, and a very high-tech uh, video monitor descends from the ceiling at the far end of the room and comes to life. Bleep, it says. The lights in the room dim. The screen flickers. A man appears on the screen Wolfgang Hart has set up. He is seated in a wheelchair. There is an oxygen tank attached to the back of the chair, but he isn't using the mask that goes with it. He is an old man, thinning white hair pulled back in a ponytail, a brown weathered face with thick wrinkles at eye, forehead, and mouth. He is wearing a dark blue suit with a tie that is many years out of style. Behind him is a high-ceilinged room. There is a pale couch directly behind him, facing a large riverstone fireplace where logs crackle. A deer head is mounted above the mantle. The man clears his throat and speaks to the camera. Many of you, most of you, have never met me, nor perhaps were too young to remember having done so. No matter. My name is Lazar... <clears throat> Lazarus Alfonso Cain, though I've always gone by Lazaro to distinguish myself from my father. Again, no matter. If you are listening to this filmed will, then I am dead, and you can call me whatever you like. Quite possibly bastard once you hear all of this. Static ripples across the screen momentarily, and he clears his throat again. <clears throat> my name is Lazarus Alfonso Cain, Jr., and I am of sound mind and body as I say these words. This is my last will and testament. Static ripples again. Let's get right to things. For my great niece, Alison Monser, who visited me often and whom I actually liked, the house and a great deal of money. Wolfgang tells me it's all worth something like $38 million. Alison, you are the youngest of my extended relatives. 
use this to make something of yourself, or sit around and read for the next 60 years. I give Allison's hand a squeeze. It's, you know, I'm trying to tell her like, oh, good for you. Uh, there is, however, a split second of a uh, slightly disappointed look that flashes across Gigi's face. Anybody else have any reaction? I think, uh, Kit, Kit, uh, Kit whispers, you know, not so subtly to uh, William, uh, maybe she can get her car out of the bay. <laughs> um, William looks at Kit and just gives him just a, a, a cocked eyebrow. Just goes, that could be a possibility. Such retrievals, I know, are costly and expensive. So that would definitely be a good use for said monetary gains, Kit. Carl? I'm actually going to be chuckling a little, not loudly, but just uh, a little almost uh, sub-vocalized laughter. But it's visible if anybody's paying attention that uh, actually a little amused for some reason. Yeah, Jason's definitely confused and concerned in the situation like half is just like well, what the hell am i doing here and the other half is looking back at back and forth between carl and william and just thinking this can't be for real i'm being punked or something <laughs> of course during this lazaro kane has not stopped talking ah uh, <clears throat> and now to the oldest of us all assuming you showed up at all my only remaining sibling that I know of, Carl Kane. You get the books in the family library. Sorry, Allison. Yeah, Carl, I know how much you hated the family, so I'm giving you the record of it, plus a ridiculous numbers of editions of Robert Louis Stevenson novels. Burn it all if you want. Uh, again with the chuckling. Uh, but uh, Ian, the amusement at this point is, it, it, it's almost bizarre. It's almost of, um, it, it's somewhere between indifference and uh, surprise, but at the same time, it, it's uh, it's almost like an anxiety that's coming out as uh, a certain certain sense of humor. Kit's just Kit's just like constantly like whispering to William, like basically just trying to you know uh, uh, make him make him happy and proud. Uh, after probably about three whispers, William kind of like turns to Kit and uh, just kind of looks down at him with that very, a very, uh, very familiar look of sort of mild annoyance and disdain and goes, Kit, perhaps in the middle of the reading of the will is not a particularly good time for conversation. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're, you're right. You're, you're always right. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I think we're next. Skeen Marcotte. You took care of me for a very pleasant year, despite the wishes of your mother, who certainly had her reasons, uh, but we'll get to that here in a while. You made me laugh, and, and you taught me about pronouns and gender biases. <laughs> anyway, you always liked my car, enough to steal it for that joyride you took around the island. So that's yours, 1936 Auburn Convertible Speedster. Wolfgang says it's expensive, so if you want to sell it and buy a dozen motorcycles, go ahead, or drive it off a cliff, whatever you like. I don't recommend and that. At this, Skeen is like, yes, yes, the car, yes, oh, yes, yes, oh, yes. <laughs> Sweet score, says Skeen. So far, I love Skeen. Skeen. I, don't remember, I don't recommend driving it off a cliff, just for the record. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a beauty. Oh, you've got to see this car. Oh, oh, oh man. I'd be delighted. Carl, Carl, we've got to go driving in this car. But, of course, they are saying this while the video is still um, still rolling. Gigi, Allison uh, appears to still be in a bit of shock because she just got the manor house and $38 million. <laughs> and so uh, you don't think that she has actually registered any of the rest of this. However, uh, you can't do much about that because your name comes up next. Gloria Marin, I am led to understand that you go by Gigi, your middle name coming from my favorite niece, Grace Foster. Gigi makes you sound like you're a flapper. Consider going by something more respectable. In any case, Grace loved to come out here and hole herself up in the family's hunting cabin on Fog Mountain. Hopefully you will enjoy it as much as she did. I never cared much for it myself and haven't been up there for years, but the taxes are paid for the next ten years, and Wolfgang has been renting on some online bed and breakfast thing. He can tell you all about it. Don't lecture me from beyond the grave, old man. Now, Jason Lawrence. Um, he pauses for a long while, then clears his throat again. Almost absently, he puts the oxygen mask to his face and inhales. <sighs> Horrible-sounding oxygen mask sounds. <laughs> you're here because... You're here because you are my only child. And Skeen Marcotte is your half-sibling. Are you fucking kidding me right now? I'm sorry. Are you kidding me right now? How? How is this possible? What is going on here? Is this a serious joke? You'll have questions, of course. But there isn't much to say. 36 years ago, as of this recording... Amelia Marcotte was my housekeeper. She was 18. I was 62. She was lovely. On screen, Kane shrugs and looks away from the camera. I'm afraid I was a different man then. When I found out about you, I was enraged. I had my reasons, but I, I am now ashamed to say that I forced Amelia to give you up for adoption. She, thankfully, resisted my entreaties to take other measures. Now you are here, and I give to you the only thing I have that truly matters to me, the lighthouse on the finger of God, with the stipulation that you maintain it and keep it functional. Toward that end, I've had Wolfgang make investments that should net you $100,000 a year for maintenance and your comfort. And boy, I am sorry. Gigi's like leaning forward with elbows on the table now, just like... <clears throat> oh, right. William and Kit Kitteridge... I don't much care for either of you. William, you're a pompous ass. Kit, you're a reprobate. But I owe it to Lisbeth to give you something. So, William, enjoy the contents of safety deposit box number 66 at the Spirit Bay Bank. Kit, hell, take the guns. You'll probably need them. Kit does like a silent fist pump. <laughs> <laughs> what is? How does William react? Um, He just sort of nods and makes note of it. Although, internally, he is furious. Although he spent a lot of time keeping himself in check, so it is held down rather well. Let's make the first roll of this evening's game. And what would you say? Would you like to try Obscure or Protect? Uh, I would definitely prefer Obscure. To conceal those feelings from from everyone else. Go ahead and and roll. 
Uh, I got a nine and a two, so a total of 11. So, uh, so yeah, so for these, you roll two 10-sided dice and then add whatever your uh, attribute score is. Okay, so nine and two plus uh, my obscure, which is six, makes uh, bumps up to a total of 17. Nicely done. You managed to keep it in. And you, having just rolled, get a mark on the new and improved... <laughs> on the new and improved turn tracker. <laughs> hey, Jesse, look, we have a turn tracker now, so I can keep track of who's, who's rolled. I see that. Because Dead of Night is interesting in that the same player, including me, the GM, cannot roll twice in a row. Uh, we have to come up with some way for someone else to roll if that is the way that it looks like it's working out. But of course, Lazarus Kane has continued. My attorneys, Mr... Mr. Hart of the Hart and Hart Law Offices have written copies of this and will see to the dispensation. As there is a chance, albeit slim, that I will live considerably longer than I expect, and some of you may have died before I do, Carl, they have also been directed to arrange, rather against the common way of things, they tell me, that rather than the pertinent distributions go to the recipients next of kin, it will instead go to the next person down the list. And indeed, this will be a sustaining order of dispensation for a period of ten years. So if you want whatever you get today to go to your kids or who the hell ever, then you've got to <coughs> manage to <coughs> stay alive for the next decade. <laughs> Only if there are no beneficiaries remaining at all from the list will the estate be placed in the trust of heart and heart for dispensation to whatever other family I might have. And if there are none, then hell, the whole line is gone. Not that that'd be surprising as we procreate late and everything will go to the town of Spirit Bay, Washington. He reaches forward and turns off the camera, the last image filling the screen, that of his left eye, bright and shining and filled with secrets. What do you do? Yeah, I think I think Jason would be one of the first ones to be like, so... Which of you can tell me about Amelia Marcotte? Oh, that's that's my mom, <laughs> says Skeen. <laughs> uh, hi, brother, I guess. And how do I refer to you? Just sibling? Um, I'm... You can call me Skeen. Skeen works. Hi, Skeen. And how old are you? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a character choice? Skeen has no idea how old they are. Great. I love this. No, I, I, it's, I just, the look of DM panic, I, it's so nice to not be doing that. Uh, I'm 28. I, no, wait. That's, that's Allison's voice. Hold on. I'm 28. How old are you? Are you my older brother? 35, Skeen. Um, eh, close enough. We're practically twinsies. Nice to meet you. Can't believe the old man never told me about that. Didn't even hint at it. Weird. Yes. Did Amelia ever say anything about me? Skeen kind of, uh, they move around to where they can talk to you a little bit better and uh, will um, say a uh, a few things here in a moment. Kit. Oh, I, I was just going to say, Kit's not picking up on, you know, uh, William's... Uh, uh, being upset 
And so he's just kind of excitedly uh, uh, rattling off all the different guns that he thinks he's going to get, you know, like various assault rifles and, you know, vintage elephant guns and, you know, what have you. Yes, Kitch, you will be able to to bomb a small militia. You shall be delightful. Although a modicum of respect in a place like this doesn't seem unfounded, brother. And Carl? Carl is... I'm going to kind of stand up slowly and just do like a, a, a subtle short turn around the room, looking at all of the reactions, listening to all of the, the chatter, uh, kind of bathing in all of the emotions and just realizing that this is a certain level of chaos. Maybe not, you know, overly dramatic or, or maybe not uh, super profound, but this is chaos. And knowing that, his brother is who caused this, and that's what he wanted. And he just knows that, uh, you know, even from the grave, this is what he would do. So he kind of looks up the screen as though it were somehow relevant and gives it just a little a little salute and a chuckle. You're also looking around and you're gauging people. So I want to give you an active shot at reading William. So uh, go ahead and go ahead and roll, I think, identify would be good and you are looking to beat his his passive which is uh 10 plus his attribute obscure which you said uh six six so 16 uh looks like i'm gonna fall a little short i rolled a seven i have a seven so that's a 14 now i could in order to make things interesting spend some tension points here i can spend tension points on identify and obscure, but I don't have to spend them to lower them. I can spend them to raise them too. And I think it's narratively interesting to see, for Carl to see what William may really be expressing. So I'm going to spend those two points that you need and determine that I also need to make a tension tracker. Can we get like a cool like tension music as, as you maneuver the tension tracker? That's horrible. Okay. Um, so, William, what is it that uh, Carl sees as he pauses and stares at you for a moment before moving on and saluting the the screen? Carl would notice that a lot of William's anger is actually seems to be kind of uh, his frame is very rigid. Um, while his face appears calm and serene, you can definitely see it in, in the way that it's carried and as he's sort of noticing this, uh, William actually turns to him and, and it would give him more insight that William appears to be angry at, uh, at at him, although his face at the moment is still kind of blank. But uh, uh, And as, as he sort of gets this realization that, yeah, he, he seems to be quite angry at me, uh, William actually walks over to Carl. Just pleasure to finally make your acquaintance. Um, Uncle Kane, uh, one of my, one of the two Uncle Canes. If you have a minute, there's something I'd like to discuss with you. Well, well, of course, yes. How how can I, how can I help you? I uh, was hoping to receive the collection of literary, uh, literary archives that the Kane family had been uh, storing for many years, in hopes that I could uh, donate it to the University of Portland. Obviously, I did not receive such uh, such a trove, 
but you did, and I was wondering if there would be any way you would be willing to part with any of it. Take a moment and just kind of give him the the more standard look over. Now, before uh, was I was kind of chuckling and reveling in the idea that I, I know my brother would enjoy this chaos, but this seems a more, far more serious matter, and this is an individual that I have yet to assess. So I'm, I'm going to kind of give him that the hard stare for a moment and uh, you know see if I can't get a sense of the person uh, before I look at him and say, well, I, I came to this island without any books. I suppose I can leave without them. I uh, wouldn't mind giving him a look over a few books there worth reading. Of course, I have no desire to, to attempt to, to be pushy on this matter if you wish to read them over, but um, I would ask that you give my offer some consideration. If need be, I can speak to the university about giving, uh, doing some monetary dispensation, if that is your proclivity. Oh, no. not uh, Won't have much use for money much longer, I'm afraid. Uh, afraid, as you can tell, I'm quite old. I'll be lucky if I can read but a few of those books before my time comes. Well, as uh, dear Uncle Lazarus has shown, a lot you can do before the time passes, and you're not that 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 old of a man just yet. What is it, early 60s? Well, maybe, maybe for him, but we've always been far different. I don't think anyone was like Lazarus. I'm, I'm sure we can, we can work this out, but uh, I'd just like to give them, give them a look over. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. And uh, William kind of gives him a nod and walks, walks back to his brother. These conversations are able to be had because Wolfgang Hart, at the end of all of that, nods, uh, looks at his, of course, gold pocket watch, and then comes over to Allison next to Gigi and asks her to step away to sign some papers in the office. Allison, however, does not let go of Gigi's hand. Gigi, are you going to be torn here uh, between going with Allison and staying here to catch up on all the gossip? <laughs> or are you going to... Mm. What are you going to do? Um, I think, uh, no, absolutely. Um, the minute that that Kane specified, if we die for some reason within the next 10 years, a uh, thing that we have received goes to the next person down the list. Like, hackles went up. Gigi started glaring around at everybody else, just like, just you dare touch Allison. You know, so Gigi's going to go along with, with Allison. So you two uh, leave, and and this is just going to be really you know standard stuff. The Wolfgang is is just giving you uh, well giving Allison paperwork, and since you're going to be in there too, he he has stuff for you to sign as well. Gigi, um, of course, that means you miss out on the interchange between Carl and William, and the discussion between Skeen and and Jason. Yeah. Oh, I. I- I definitely regret not having access to that hot goss, but uh, <laughs> my immediate concern here is the well-being of my cousin. And Kit? I, yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, well, at, at some point uh, when William is no longer, you know, speaking with Carl, he kind of says, uh, or he, he he goes up to William and he says, hey, Will, what's that mean, that, that whole thing about, like, have to live for 10 years, like, does that mean that like if everyone else dies, we would get like all the money and the the lighthouse and the uh, all that stuff? That would be crazy. That'd be crazy if we were the only surviving people, right? Well, judging by ages, Kit, I doubt that will be the outcome. But 
it would be a actually devastating uh, devastating event. I mean, I'm not exactly looking to have everyone in this room perish, simply that I could have a old manor house and an old lighthouse. We'll, I am neither here nor there on the $38 million. Yeah, me neither. I don't like any of that stuff either. But yes, if if over the next 10 years the others in this room were to perish, then hypothetically, Kit, uh, we would receive all of the benefits of the will. That'd be pretty crazy. That's all that I'm saying, you know, like, 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 almost like winning the lottery if they all like died, you know, like, like that. Whoa, whoa, you know, like that'd be crazy, you know. Would definitely be unexpected. Um, uh, I would. I mean, that's that's something out of <laughs> a Scooby Doo there, <laughs> their kit. I doubt we would have such such shenanigans going on. Although, after the, are, are you saying, are you saying that the manor is fake haunted? Like haunted, but in a fake way. Yes, it's a real real estate de- debacle created by the the bank owner, Mister Jenkins. Kit. You know, I thought there was something funny about that guy. I really thought there was. So he's like, what, dressing up like a ghost? Uh, this conversation can like, can and that fade conversation out of this. goes on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jason, you and Skeen get to have a bit of a bit of a chat. Uh, how deep do you want to go here? Oh yeah, there's all kinds of surprising stuff. Um, first of all, lighthouses rule. You don't like a lighthouse, you suck. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Jason is is more interested in uh, the family that gave him up and why why that happened. Uh, super pissed at Lazaro, wondering how Amelia could have even let this happen, and why only seven years later they they keep the love child instead of forcing him off into uh the system like i was skeen says yeah uh, i don't know I, I i don't know the answers to any of those things i didn't know you existed but uh, i mean i can tell you about mom uh but uh, you know i mean i mean she was into healthcare, uh home health care stuff back then just like i am now and which, which of course is a perhaps uh, a bit of stereotyping shock because Skeen is uh, half of their head is shaven, they're tattooed, they have piercings, rides a rides a uh, BMW. <laughs> Either way, but uh, Jason is not phased by any of that um, from what he has seen and dealt with in his life. Uh, Skeen is a very welcoming person and uh jason looks at skeen as a very welcome sibling at this point in time um considering they knew nothing about each other does jason have any like tattoos or anything any marks of the of his previous occupation or current occupation i guess i don't know are you still in the no actually uh jason has kept himself pretty clean um mostly because he was kind of a face um, and a scout to try and lure crowds, lure crowds into actually seeing performances. So yeah, she can tell you about Amelia. There's, um, there's not a lot to tell. A lot of stories that won't be able to get into in the time that that you have here. But she throws off a, a couple of them, and 
but about the time that gotten through a couple of, of just, you know, familial things, stuff you never got to experience, of course, Wolfgang comes back in and says, if you would like to come in and sign Mr. Kane, he says to Carl, and um, mix Marcotte as well. And so Skeen gives you a little salute, Jason, and says, oh, we've got to, like, so talk later. And I got an awesome car. We can go driving around, talk. We can have biscuits. I don't know. Maybe this place doesn't even have good biscuits. I have no idea. That sounds good, Skeen. I'm staying up at the lodge. I didn't see you there. Uh, I was staying at a cabin, a little hunting cabin on the other side of Fog Mountain. That's interesting. You do hear that, Gigi, because you are back in the room. Or maybe you aren't. Uh, Where did Gigi and um, Allison go after the offices? I guess I probably would ask Allison where where she wanted to go. Allison, would you like to go back into the room and speak to the others or what what do you feel like uh i don't know i'm this is this is wild um yeah. am i am i rich now Al- allison you're rich now uh, okay <laughs> is that oh wow okay i have the house i i mean i played in that house <laughs> yeah yes um okay 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 <laughs> wow all right um yeah i I think I, um, I think I, I think I want to go back up to the lodge. All right. And yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. What should I be doing? What should a rich person, what would a rich person do? Well, I seem to recall reading somewhere that if you win the lottery or come into possession of large sums of money in some other fashion, the first thing you ought to do is hire a financial advisor and uh, possibly set up a trust fund. Or is it an LLC? I can never remember. The financial advisor will tell you. Standing in the hallway is a younger, natalie dressed fellow who looks a lot like Wolfgang, who says, We can provide those services here at Heart and Heart and have done so for the family for ages. Well, there you are, Allison. It comes built in. And so she turns to him and says, Well, what would a rich person do? I understand that uh, you um, had a bit of a mishap with your luggage. Uh, perhaps we can give you um, a bit of a a a a bit of a, a money to go purchase a new wardrobe. We shall go shopping. And shopping montage follows. Material girl place. <laughs> Some kind of '90s uh, all-girl yeah. pop band. Just when I thought I was free from the 90s. <laughs> uh, when when you and Allison go outside after uh, the younger Hart brother has um, given you a, a corporate credit card, you see out there across the street a woman sitting on the hood of a very expensive car, uh, looking a lot like actually you probably did on your ride over on the ferry, except with not quite as an expensive a car. Yeah, my eyebrows go up and my eyes kind of travel up and down. She's a little bit older, probably about the age of the uh, younger Kitteridge. And, and she looks up as you come out and tilts her sunglasses down and just appraises you and Allison, it seems, as you walk down the steps and head off toward your shopping extravaganza. She makes no other move, though. I'm, I'm staring right back at her. You probably shouldn't be able to see the wink, but she winks. 
I do a little like half grain and then I turn back and, uh, you know, turn back forward to keep walking with Allison. All right. So Carl and Skeen go to the offices and sign paperwork and blah, blah, blah. Paperwork follows. Lots more paperwork happens. Is there, unless there's anything special anybody wanted to do while signing paperwork? I'll take that as a no. <clears throat> Tonight on the Gothic Podcast, bureaucracy at work. <laughs> you didn't know you were signing on for a legal role play. Uh, I never do. <laughs> Carl, when you come out of the law offices of Heart and Heart, uh, you see a woman sitting on the hood of a very expensive car across the street, and you recognize that woman. That woman is one... Candace Kane, your daughter-in-law. I'll do uh, do the double take. You know, you just you expect to kind of just give the person a nod, and you realize you recognize them, and did and uh, do that very quick double take. Hey, old man. Hey, old man. Who's the who's the hottie uh, that your squeeze? Says Skeen, who came out with you. Yeah. Yes. Give them the. Uh, uh, so what in the heck are you talking about? Look, say uh, this would this would be my daughter-in-law. Oh, okay. Hey, why wasn't she in there then? I believe she wasn't invited and wouldn't be a direct relative anyway. Nice car. Ooh, where's my car? Oh, it's probably up at the house. Hey, are you headed up to the house later? Uh, yes, I, 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 I suppose I've got to check on the books. Skeen uh, is going to head off and uh, do some things, but I, I will bring the car around for you. And then they laugh and wander off in that pseudo british voice of theirs <laughs> <laughs> yes i can do a british act no never mind <laughs> and they laugh again and wander off i'll uh wander over to the the, the surprising appearance of the daughter-in-law and say um surprised to see you here oh carl darling of course i'm here wouldn't miss it for the world a very confused mutterings of uh, well, I, I believe you did miss it. Uh, the, the the reading of the will is is over. It's it's finished. You know what I mean, darling. You know, um, Daddy dearest, that uh, well, you inherited everything, right? And so I just thought we should reconnect. It's been how many years? It's been some time, yes. Uh, but I'm afraid you are only going to find disappointment here. Yeah. The extent of my inheritance is going to be some musty old books. Ah, um, yes, uh, she cannot mask the disappointment on her face. Well, uh, then who, um, who inherited, if not the oldest living relative of the deceased? I'll, I'll kind of look around uh, to see if I see anybody around. Uh, William and Kit are just now walking out of the law offices. Well, I don't, I don't believe I see the young lady around uh she's she's uh, already wandered off but uh yes one of the other relatives someone to, to whom apparently my brother was quite endeared indeed indeed she does that thing where she just dismisses you she's now just sitting there thinking and you know the she did it to you a lot she never did it to your son at least that you know of but she would do that to you quite a bit mm-hmm I'm going to uh, do the, the the thing that only old old men can get away with, where they just kind of stand there for an awkward long of 
uh, awkward amount of time. Not quite certain what they, why it is they're not moving, but just just to kind of stand there and just stare. So, uh, William kind of now surveying the scene. It would like to uh, sort of pick up on on how Carl's doing. Uh, because he didn't really expect this man and and being uh, to ha- to be interacting with a uh, significantly younger woman and on this level of intimacy uh, so close and it is a it is a personality shift that he wasn't expecting so gonna see uh, what what might be going on there especially he's taken an interest into Carl because he has his books roll and identify Check. oh boy I'm not good at this one I got really lucky. Uh, I got a I got a nine and a ten, <laughs> nice uh, with a four, so that's going to be a twenty three. William, you're maybe not good at at reading people always, but right now you're honed. You're honed in. Uh, you can get a whole family history almost in uh, the uh, in the expressions going on between them. Now you you can't get the relationships between the two here, but this is not a this is not a a lover's tryst or anything like that. Not only because Carl is, uh, what did we determine Carl is in his nineties? Carl is exactly 90. And, uh, and yeah, this uh, woman is more, uh, Kit's age. William's going to look over to Kit and, and, and basically go, uh, Kit, if you'd be so kind as to grab the car, I'm going to see if I can, uh, rescue Mr. Kane real quick. Who's, who's the hottie? Uh, I'm sure I don't know, but, well, if you want to bring the car around, if we have some time, uh, you might as well go say hi. Uh, yeah, sure, sure thing, Will. All right. All right, kid. And William's going to uh, walk over to Carl. Uncle Kane, um, sorry I didn't mean to, to interrupt, but I was, uh, I was wondering if you were ready to head up to the manor with us. I believe, I believe the sooner I wrap all of this up, the, the better it'll be. So, yes, yes, let's. Let's take care of that. Let's go. Let's go look at those those books that you're so interested in. Delightful. I apologize. I don't mean to steal him away. Oh no! It, that sounds lovely. Of course, I will come with you. She says. I'm Candace, by the way. Candace Kane. Delightful to make your acquaintance. My name is William Kitteridge. This young uh, lady was once married to my son. Ah, well, um, condolences then. I would assume, uh, or. Perhaps that is the incorrect uh, affirmation, but I I would be delight delightful to meet you. Kind of pulling himself back, not sure how to really interact with that particular human situation. But yes, uh, you're trying to get uh, Carl to uh, take you actually take you up to the house now. Of course, Carl, you don't have the keys. Keys, schmies. Does Allison does Allison have the keys? Did they give them to her? Uh, Wolfgang um, actually handed over the keys and said, probably best not to move in immediately, but um, you can certainly, it is yours now, so here you are, and hands Allison these like ancient giant skeleton key looking things on a big iron ring. Would the house be unoccupied at this point? There are no, I don't know, were there servants? Theoretically. Yeah, you have no idea, Carl. Uh, I mean, in, when you were here, there were servants, uh, but the family was uh, larger. I might not consider that. Just assume that there had been. May just head on up there. Well, Kit brings around the car, and uh, who's who's getting who's getting into the car? Uh, um, is it just William? 
Well, what is it that the uh, Kitteridges are driving? The Kitteridges are driving a a very nice, uh, very new uh, model uh, model seven BMW. Um, it's this sort of sleek, uh, sleek, sleek black sedan. It looks very much just like a a very nice, dark, unassuming car. Of course, William drives BMW. <laughs> Uh, I think one of the only notable things is uh, kind of in the windshield of this car is a uh, University of Portland sort of identification sticker. But other than that, it's just sort of this very stereotypical sleek, uh, sleek, nice black car as uh, William kind of walks up, walks up and opens the back door for uh, Carl and sort of motions uh, here. This should make the transit a bit easier. Are the dogs in the car? Uh, no, the, the the dogs are at the room at the lodge. So yeah, Kit, you, you drive the car around, and then um, your brother is opening the door for uh, Carl Kane, uh, who gets into the back. Or does he? Uh, yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I guess I, I will just be following you all up then. And Candace goes around and gets into the uh, driver's side of her Porsche. Does that seem weird to Carl? Um, she's always been a bit pushy. Where, where, where are we headed, Will? Uh, just head into town a little bit, Kit. I apologize for Uncle Kane. Oh, oh, this is Uncle Kane? Yeah, uh, Kit, uh, this is our Uncle Kane. All right, nice to meet you. How yes. old are you, like 100? <laughs> 150? <laughs> no, that doesn't make sense. People don't live that long. I Seriously, though, nice to meet you. Uh, your first guess wasn't far off, but nice to meet you, too. All right, I'm driving now. Thank you, kid. William like looks uh, William looks at Kit and goes, uh, if you could take some of the back roads, uh, that would be rather, uh, rather enjoyable. I always enjoy the scenery. Uh, back roads is William's kind of code word for Kit. Uh, to lose anyone that's behind him. Um, I would say William is not necessarily the most, uh, while he is poised and uh, sort of poised, he is not necessarily above illegal activities when it requires him to get what he wants. Um, and he drags Kit along with him every time. Um, and so they, that kind of their code word is, uh, whoever's behind them, you need to try and lose them. Yeah, because literally that would be difficult. There are back roads, but they tend to go in loops or dead ends as they go up into some of the residential areas that have built up in the trees on the slopes of the mountain. And going out to the manor, uh, there is just the one main road, uh, the main island road that comes up, Kit, on your GPS that you have, you see all of that, but it looks like it's a windy road. You could probably go fast and maybe dive into one of the more residential areas and that has a loop and try and um, ditch uh, the uh, the Porsche that pulls out right behind you as you uh, pull off into Main Street. And, uh, okay, yeah, as soon as William says, take the back roads, uh, uh, Kit would kind of say, like, you sure? You sure, Will? I, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, you got it. You got it. All right. And um, maybe try to, to lose lose the Porsche uh, around. Porsche or Porsche? You know what? Now's not the time. Uh, yeah, try to lose <laughs> around a corner and take a, take a right. Hopefully, 
he doesn't go screaming off a cliff and kill all three of the people in the car. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? It would be. <laughs> Make your <laughs> job easier, though. <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> do I need to roll any sort of, like, escape or... or uh... Absolutely. All right. All right. Kit, I need you to roll, and that is the very one as well. You need to roll an escape, and that is going to be against Candace's pursue. Very straightforward. All right, and I'm adding plus five to this, right? Because I got an escape five. If that's what you have for your escape, yes. Cool. cool. I like to imagine that Kit's doing the uh, "Is it Porsche or Porsche?" talk like to William as they're like oh. zooming around corners and stuff. <laughs> yes, yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's kind of doing the uh, Dumb and Dumber thing, like looking in the rearview mirror a lot more than he should be while he's driving. The thing where, like, if you're watching a movie, you're like, pay attention to the road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Six and a seven, 13 plus five, 18. You actually would beat Candace's score by one. However, I do still have some tension points left. I'm going to spend my remaining tension points and make that a fail. She stays on you. As you just head barreling off of Main Street, which is, there, it's not the only street in Spirit Bay, but there aren't a lot of them. And onto the Island Road, which is what it's called, that uh, winds out by the uh, Spirit Bay Lodge, uh, which is a couple of miles outside of town. And uh, you just barrel around a motorcycle that, uh, Carl, you recognize uh, Skeen's touring, yeah, uh, touring BMW, and uh, then the you know the Porsche or Porsche just <laughs> stays right on, right on you, listeners. If you'd like to tweet us with the correct pronunciation of that car that starts with a p and ends with a sh, tweet it, tweet it, maybe specifically, please. That would be hilarious. Specifically to. Sharon at... <laughs> Psych, I'm not on Twitter. Ha-ha! Well, when I was in the war, we called old Ferdinand Porsche. Fought a few of those nasty little vehicles he put together. By the way, they made tanks in World War II. I had a moment where I couldn't tell if that was Carl or Richard. I'm talking to Kit and William. They're just fancy Volkswagens anyway. Oh, man. Yeah, so anyway, uh, Mitsubishi actually made fighter planes in World War II. And, uh, oh, hey, Will, um, how many more back roads do we want to take? These back roads don't seem pretty enough? No, I don't think they do. I think it'd be time to, to just head up to the manor. We've seen all that we can here. I apologize for sort of stealing you away, Uncle Kane. Uh, I got a feeling that she isn't the most pleasant woman to interact and or be around and I figured I might as well do my good deed for the day and save my uncle. Uh, we all have our crosses to bear. Uh, while you are speeding at high speeds on the island road toward Kane Manor with all of the people that I need to kill this evening <laughs> in one car. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I gave you an out. Jason? <laughs> Jason, <laughs> what are you doing? Jason uh, would have 
spent time asking more questions when signing everything, uh, especially looking over all the little fine print, uh, ensuring that the deed was legit for the lighthouse and the bank funds in the right places to take care of it. Because, I mean, that was his precious thing, even though screw this guy for forcing Amelia to give me up. He's still conflicted about that. And then after that, uh, as he is walking out to his uh, blue Jeep Wrangler, uh, he notices uh, the two fancy cars driving away and uh, decides to try to seek out other family members to see what other information he could get, uh, specifically Gigi and Allison. So he would head into town to look for the shops that they would have gone to. And since being here a couple of days, I kind of have a good layout of how the town is is set up. Yeah, the main shops and such are all laid out on the main street there. Yeah, there are some residential areas behind that. And then as you move toward the waterfront, you get uh, fisheries stuff going on down there, the fishermen and the uh, the docks and such. And uh, actually, it's not too difficult to find those two. And so you see them, Jason, actually coming out of a shop just down the way. Groovy. Um, so I would uh, pull over to the side of the road and jump out, you know, of course, check traffic, make sure I don't get slammed by a bus or something. And then I holler out to the two and and run over towards them. Hey, um uh Gigi and uh, hello Allison um I was just wondering if you guys had a few moments to talk about this side of the family that doesn't that I don't that I ab- know absolutely nothing about um would you like to go uh, grab a bite to eat um and um fill me in on some of what's going on with all of this and how do I fit in mm Absolutely. I am famished. I don't know about you, Allison. I am famished. A bite to eat would go down very nicely. And uh, is that your Jeep? Maybe put our shopping in it. We've got like four shopping bags on each arm. <laughs> um. Yeah. I actually have been doing a, a little bit of, um. you know, this side of the family is rather interesting to me. My mother never talked about it much. And uh, so I have been putting together a little amateur uh, project into the the family tree. Well, how is the food at the lodge? Maybe we could just all sit to dinner up there and kind of go over things. The drinks are great. I haven't eaten there yet. But if their drinks are good, surely they, the attention to detail also spreads to the food. Well, throw your bags in. Let's get you guys up there then. You guys all pile into Jason's Wrangler and start up toward the lodge. You actually overtake uh, Skeen who uh, it looks like has been, um, uh, they are tending to their motorcycle, uh, which uh, looks like it might have a flat. Uh, It's on the side of the road. Now, as you're driving out of town, headed toward the lodge, the uh, road gains in elevation. Now, as the cliffs begin to rise up and bring the road with them, uh, heading north out of Spirit Bay itself, uh, you can see out over the sound. You can it's it's absolutely stunning, even with the overcast. There are all these islands out there, pretty mountainous, green, covered with the tops dusted in frost and snow. 
and more so since the uh, snow of last night. And then as you come around the uh, a bend, you see you see skiing there, and, and beyond them you can see the cemetery, which is on the cliff side of the road, um, and and kind of bare, not very many trees or anything in it, but some very tall um, mausoleum buildings. And then beyond that, uh, butting up against it almost, is the lodge uh, itself in all of its rustic glory with its huge beams and massive wings. Uh, yeah, pulling over. Um, I'm sorry, you guys, but I got to see what, what's going on with skiing. Mm, no problem at all. They were uh, invaluable during our aquatic rescue. They held my coat. Oh, yeah, the ferry incident, right? Mm. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, let me check on Skeen, and um, I'll let you guys know what uh, the, the status is. They wave their arms um, as you're coming by, and then uh, Skeen sees who you are and says, Hey, bro! Hi, Skeen. <laughs> well, uh, two... Uh, Two really fancy cars just read me off the road. Yeah, figures as much. Blew a, blew a tire. Well, you shall have the fanciest car on the island before the night's out. I know. Are, are you heading up to the lodge, Skeen? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, would you like a ride? Uh, sure. Uh, give me one second. They go back over to their bike and take the hard packs off of the back and throw them into the back of the Wrangler. And then Skeen goes back over to the bike and points it at the cliff and then just runs it right toward the cliff and then just lets it fly. What the? What? the what? Skeen! What the hell, dude? Oh, Skeen, that was a... No- they go over and look. And... Yeah, that was two seconds. How far down is that? 800 feet. You are getting a new car, so... <laughs> Have you wanted to do that for a while? That's true dedication, Skeen. I respect that. Did you see the gas station here? They're not going to have tires for that. <laughs> uh. Okay. Well, hop on in. And then they come back over and, uh, and like, get into the Wrangler. But um, I assume you have the top on since it's kind of cold. Yeah, the top is definitely on at this point in time. Uh, yeah, so swings into the back. Uh, who's sitting in the back? Uh, I am. Let's say Allison's in the front. Swings into the back with Gigi. Hey, uh, Gigi, whose name sounds like a flapper, apparently. And they laugh. <laughs> I mean, he would know, wouldn't he? I guess. <laughs> As if Gloria Grace didn't sound like a grandmother. You guys go on up to the lodge then? Yep, heading up to the lodge. Back on the road. The three of you in the Kitteridge's car are... Uh, Kit is still doing a pretty good clip uh, up the island road and uh, this is a two-lane blacktop that does do a lot of winding sometimes there's more trees on the cliff side but it uh, it keeps pretty close to the uh, side you see guardrails that are busted up in places as if something hit them and they bent but they didn't give so the, the ocean or the sound is to the right and you get glimpses of those awesome views too of the uh, uh, green islands out there uh, kind of hazed over with clouds and such but also dusted with snow and there are patches of snow and ice on the road itself but it looks like it's been uh, mostly cleared by whatever uh, road crews they have here on elk island 
as well as uh, the uh, rains of this morning. And to your left are occasionally those roads that go up into the uh, forested sides of uh, the hills, which become one large mountain in the center of the island, Fog Mountain, which, uh, according to the guidebooks, uh, hits something like uh, 1,400 feet at its top. But you guys have gotten pretty high on the cliff sides here. You're probably uh, 300 feet up. As uh, uh, Kip is driving the car, he's kind of doing a thing where he's like looking, you know, sideways out out the window at the cliff and uh, kind of uh, whistles to himself and and says like, uh, "Wouldn't want to drive off the road, head down that 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 you know cliff." Jeez, that wouldn't be a good way to end a day, huh? Quite a fall, I would say. And Kit turns back to the road just in time to see a woman coalesce out of the steam rising up from the roadway and the mist and such that's left in the air standing there in the road. It's Haven Harrow. (laughs) Help me. It is not Haven Harrow. She said, help me. Find the purple monkey. Kit screams, uh... Oh shit, a fake ghost! <laughs> Roll for me, escape. That's a concerning... That's concerning. Oh, wait. I'm sorry, Kit. You rolled last time. You were the most recent person to roll. That means I get to roll. Oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. You're being pursued by Haven Harrow. <laughs> I've been... I forgot the terror of being a player. Oh. <laughs> Carl, you recognize the woman standing in front of the car. Oh, I kind of get. Oh no! It is your dead wife. It's ghost. I will gasp. Kip, Kip, by the way, definitely said the whole thing about oh shit, the fake ghost from the manor. (laughs) (laughs) If he said that out loud, then Carl would definitely be like, "Wait, what?" (laughs) So, I got a twenty. Oh no! Oh no! A twenty for what? Uh, Oh my! (laughs) So, Kit, what is your escape? Five. So I was rolling against a 15. I succeed. And Kit, you look up, you see, uh, and, you, and you see the figure kind of coalesce, and you you say that about the <laughs> about the ghost from the manor, <laughs> and you jerk the wheel hard to the right, but not before you hit the figure. Carl, suddenly, for just a moment, it's just a moment, but your wife is in the car with you. They are right in front of your face. You're face to face with her as the car is turning, as Kit is wrenching the wheel to the right. Time seems to slow down for just a moment, and she is there. I need you to roll an escape check. Okay. Uh, Sorry, I was pulling up my thingy. That's actually going to be a 19. Ooh, nice. Um... You continue <laughs> wishing to stay on the podcast. <laughs> he can't die. Rolls are too strong. <laughs> and then, Carl, she's passing through you, and you feel this coldness, but you also um, feel something else there. It, it is this coldness, but it's it's something that's not your wife. It is a breath of something from somewhere else. I mean, there's no way to identify it or even to really contemplate it very much before the car is hitting the guardrail and popping up 
and then landing hard on the guardrail itself and the whole thing mangles and of course there's no way to register all of that for those of you who are in the car as it is um, going over the side but it winds up with the airbags all having gone off and tilted with the back wheels barely caught on the um, mangled railing now beyond the the railing isn't just a sheer drop it is a uh, a, a kind of a rocky um, slope with a few trees uh, but th through those trees which don't look quite solid enough to stop the car from continuing on its downward plunge if it were to go on over beyond that is the cliff and the drop-off okay I, I have a thing that I want Kit to do, but I don't know if uh, if it makes sense. The airbag has now um, deflated. There's just that smell of um, that that weird smell that airbags have. If you've ever been in a car where an airbag has gone off, which I have, it's uh, kind of an old dust smell. So, Kit, you are you are essentially looking down a short slope of of rocky and tree lined scree, and then. A drop of a, a couple of hundred feet to perhaps the sea, to perhaps the shore. Either way, it's probably not going to, you know, be a comfortable landing because your airbags have already gone off. So, um, and let me know if this just is stupid, but that's what he would see if he was like looking and paying attention. But I, I envision him fighting with the airbag, just kind of like using his fists and like kind of you know in a little bit of a delirium uh, a little bit of like shock you know just like punching at the airbag to try to get it out of his face and he's like kind of slurring his words he might have a concussion but he's saying like will will are you okay i hit the guardrail i think i hit the fake ghost we're gonna be i'm gonna i'm gonna go to jail i know it oh no i i uh i need to get us help you stay here i'm gonna go get us help and like he opens the door and steps out. Uh, William is not. <laughs> William is is still very disoriented from this, and like they, like recognizes like, uh, yes, yeah, Kit, go get some, go get some. Oh no, Kit! Um, I would like to say that it's definitely a little bit too late. <laughs> he like looks up and see Kit opening the door. He's like, yo. No. <laughs> uh, so Kit steps out of the car. <laughs> And I think, hmm, oh, you know what? You have that, um, you have an athletic specialty, don't you? Um, so I have triathlon competitor and brother's keeper. Um, the way that I was approaching this was kind of, kind of more like brother's keeper where it's like, will you stay here? I'm going to go get help. You know, even though he's like not in a, in a, uh, you know, medical state of mind to be able to help. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, now, uh, roll escape. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seven and an eight plus five, 20. Okay. So, Kit, you step out of the car and you you just go tumbling, tumbling down the slope. <laughs> and uh, you smack your head again and you hear something crack in your arm. <laughs> and uh, But then you come up against hard against a tree. And then you just are sort of just sitting there against this tree. 
And, but you are in a, a position where if you had the wherewithal to see it, you see a woman standing next to the uh, next to the uh, car. It's not the one that you ran over. I think uh, yeah, he's his mouth is bloodied at this point, you know, and he's kind of like coughing up blood and he does his best to kind of like uh, call up. But he's like, <coughs> William, there's witness. <coughs> <laughs> Uh, William, uh, now gaining sort of a bearing on the situation, is uh, actually just takes a second and just like gently like rubs the bridge of his nose. This was not how he expected his afternoon to go. And he reaches into kind of like the pocket on the seat in front of him, and he pulls out this sort of it, for for a second it almost looks like a medallion, but he he goes and he attaches. It's actually a long ear earring. It, it sort of goes down from his left ear, and it's this simple gold chain with a, a small pin, a small pendant, uh, which appears to be sort of a small eye um, accented with with jade um, that appears to be open. That he, he puts on uh, his ear very quickly in a practice motion, and he looks over to see how his uncle Carl's doing. Well, that's a good question, Carl. I don't need you to make a roll, but you are, as you have mentioned, old. And you were just in a car wreck in the back seat. And uh, so I need you to either spend a survival point or be unconscious. And I'd just like to point out, I didn't hear anyone say they put on seatbelts, you know. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, there we go. Just because I want to see what the rest will do with it, I'm going to be unconscious. Uncle Carl appears to be unconscious at the moment uh, in the back of the uh, of the car. He's... He's uh, slumped there in his in his restraints, uh, which he did put on Kit. <laughs> but and, and his head is lolling, and he could be dead. William is going to uh, look around and see: Is there anyone other than Kit and him around? Uh, can the the woman that was following them see into the car? And two: Are there any pieces of broken glass near William? Uh, plenty of uh, broken glass near William, and. There is uh, the woman, and and she is near the back of the of the uh, of your car, and you recognize her uh, as Candace Kane. She's pulled up right behind you, having been pretty close. Uh, I, I look up and I go, uh, "Go back to town. Uh, uh, get go get the the police." Um, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, the Mister Kane appears to, in all honesty, uh, he appears to be dead. Please. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 okay. And she pulls out a cell phone and then um, runs back to her car and jumps in. And there's a squealing of tires. As she leaves, uh, William is going to, he's going to reach out and take a, take a piece of like ripped cloth, wrap it around his hand and then pick up the piece of broken glass. And then kind of judging from where the back window was, uh, he's going to take that piece of black glass and it's going to stab Carl in, uh, Carl in the neck. <laughs> the intention is to make it look like a piece of glass from the shattered back windshield went into Carl. Go ahead and describe it. Yeah. So what he does is he he reaches up sort of behind his neck and judging where the window for the back windshield um, sort of cracked inward from the force of them going off the guardrail um, and looking at how Carl is sort of slumped down in the seat kind of resting in front of him. He kind of takes the the piece of glass sort of moving it around and he actually takes some time is pretty meticulous about it and then 
uh, with the the uh, you you're not sure that you're going to have that time because the car is actually rocking forward. Oh, if it's if it's uh, a much tenser situation that he would like look up the window, look down at him, make a few uh, make a few like oh, okay, that looks about right, and then go and holding it in the the uh, hand that's covered in cloth, uh, he takes he takes uh, another piece of glass and puts it uh, puts it against it and then slams it down sort of like a, a nail in a piece of wood takes the piece of glass that he ha- uh, he had that has his fingerprints on it and chucks it out the window down onto the cliff so you just jam this this glass into uncle Carl's neck and blood sprays uh, the, it's all over your hands you had to squirm around in the seat in order to um, in order to get into the right position and it was still kind of awkward to do but but man, there's a lot of blood. You you had to have done it. Uh, but I need you to roll a assault against against Carl's passive protect. Okay. Which I believe is 15. Well, I, right now, uh, let's see. I've got a six to assault, and I really I'm gonna be amazed. I'm gonna be confused on what to do if I fail this. Um, no, don't worry about it. I got it. I got you covered. Okay. Uh, I got two fives. Um, so that's ten. Plus six, so that's gonna beat it just by one. Uh, my protect is six. Oh, 16. Okay. Um, all right. So here's what happens the blood's everywhere, and as you pull the glass out, William, and you're just looking there at your uncle as blood is, is kind of flowing down his neck, the car shifts again. Uh, there's a grinding of metal as the whole thing slips off of the railing and I'm going to roll and I'm going to roll what am I going to roll are you going to roll I'm going to roll <laughs> what am I going to roll you're going to roll I'm going to roll an assault are you rolling now oh no what am I being assaulted by the cliff uh gravity <laughs> <laughs> 16. Yeah, that'll do it. I have a passive protect of 12. All right. You lose a survival point. Ooh, I'm down to one of those. The car plunges down the slope right toward Kit. Kit, roll me. Losing <laughs> losing escape. survival points causes effect attention, correct? It does, yes. Yeah, we're, we're currently, actually because uh, uh, William is technically a villain, and we also had the appearance of the uh, ghostly figure. We're at a pretty high tension right now. I think we're around 10. Uh, in the meantime, Kit had been uh, uh, slowly like limping and hobbling his way back up the hill, uh, um, you know, muttering through broken teeth and broken jaws like, I'm coming, Will. I'm coming. I'm going to help you. And then the car starts coming toward yeah. you, plunging down. You see the, you just see the uh, the nose of the car, which is already bent and and broken. The fiberglass and the metal just looking like teeth as it's coming for you. Nice. Oh, that's 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 great imagery. Okay, so escape. <laughs> uh, an eight and a four, twelve plus five, seventeen. You're not able to like leap out of the way, but you. Uh, scrabble out of the way, clutching onto um, vines and such, uh, some underbrush that's there, and the car continues half flips so that the driver's side is down, 
and is lodged against the tree that you were just leaning up against a few moments ago, Kip. <laughs> William, you are still alive and conscious and can try to climb out. The car is still creaking a lot. Uh, yeah, William has just gone through Crash Act 2 and is real, real not happy about it. And he is going to do his best to kind of climb out, uh, climb out onto the onto the hill. Um, he is leaving the what he thinks is the, what he hopes is the body of Uncle Carl in the car as he goes to climb out. William, you get out of the car. He, uh, the there's the smell of um, gasoline, but there's no nothing's burning or anything. So it's not like you know a movie car explosion is about to happen. Uh, but you get out, you're, you're covered in blood, yours and your uncle's, and uh, kind of half fall, half jump from the passenger door to the, to the slope and crawl your way back up to join your brother, who uh, is actually in reasonably good health. <laughs> so, Kit, do you want to be helping your brother up to the roadway again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, when he sees that he's alive, he he has like a mini breakdown where he, you know, starts sobbing and and telling him how he thought he was going to be mangled. And it seems like not too long, but it had to have been a while uh, when you hear sirens approaching and back at the lodge, uh, actually, several people go out who were in the uh, uh, restaurant part because it's toward the front of the lodge as they hear sirens and two police cars, all of the police cars that are in Spirit Bay, come just racing past the lodge headed along the island road. Anyway, the, the sheriff's department shows up and they get you, William and Kit, into one of the cars. Uh, there's a deputy there that uh, takes you back down into town uh, to the little clinic they have there. They don't have a hospital here, but they do have a, a small clinic while the other um, stayed out there to deal with the wreck and with uh, with Carl uh, and waiting on the uh, one ambulance that the town has. Again, these are not, uh, um, this is not a big place. They really depend on the mainland for a lot of this, but because they are a little secluded, they have uh, some resources here. So they have this very old ambulance that um, eventually also makes it out. The sheriff's car that you're in pass it as it's going out toward the wreck. But everybody at the lodge sees it go by, too. Uh, really, though, the Kitteridge brothers are, are relatively unharmed. <laughs> Not for a lack of trying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, William, you're, of course, going to be waiting to find out about uh, Carl and to find out whether he was entirely unconscious or if he's dead or what. But uh, now that William's been patched up a little bit, um, he's going to, the first thing he's going to do is go back to whatever hotel room he was at um, because his clothes are very understandably covered in blood and tattered. That would be at the Spirit Bay Lodge. That'd be at the Spirit Bay Lodge. Uh, he will start making his way over there with uh, Kit. We're going back to the lodge. We need to change. Oh, good. I'm, I'm feeling pretty sleepy. You don't have a car? <laughs> uh, he will probably start to walk then. Um, that or look around for a taxi. And he's checking his... Well, he's checking to see if, if Uber has anything. Although, he doubts it. 
Um, actually, William, go ahead and roll a um, yeah, identify check. Sure. Uh, identify. I got a six and a one. That's going to be seven plus four. That's only going to be 11. Okay. Well, that is a failure. Uh, so no, there are no Uber drivers currently available. There actually is an Uber driver, but uh, apparently he's not picking up at the moment. He's not on on call. Um, he's he's also the ambulance driver. It's Skeen. Yeah. <laughs> it's Skeen. <laughs> you do uh, you do catch a ride though. Uh, you've walked maybe a half a mile out toward the lodge, and uh, somebody coming by just headed that way just picks you up. Oh, you boys need a. You boys need a ride, eh? Uh, yes, sir. That would be delightful. So you get up to the lodge where everybody is just kind of standing around outside because it hasn't been that long since the ambulance and uh, police car went back the other direction. And so you change, and then what? He's also, he's going to get his dogs. Okay. They are a pair of Doberman Pinchers. They have these very nice leather collars on, and below them in a sort of nice uh, metallic steel plate, one reads uh, Regis, and the other one reads Rockchester. Is the lodge where everyone else is at the moment? Yes. How do they react? Because I, I uh, to to the the Kitteridges walking in, and at least one Kitteridge being covered in blood. After having seen the all this activity, Gigi and... Uh, Jason, uh, what do you do? Uh, Gigi is right at the front of the rubbernecking crowd with a whiskey sour and just <laughs> <laughs> leaning on whatever's nice. available and just like the the ultra rubbernecking. And as soon as uh, as soon as the kidderages start walking up covered in blood, her eyebrows go so far up her forehead, they're in danger of disappearing into her hairline and just. Uh, yeah. And they were dropped off uh, by this um, extended cab pickup with this big, you know, uh, a camper thing on the back of the uh, over the bed, <laughs> and I imagine Jason would have been deep in conversation with Gigi, Allison, uh, Skeen, whoever was available at that time. Uh, they all seem to would have gravitated toward that direction, but Jason would have probably held back a little bit, um, trying to assess a little bit more carefully of what's going on around them. William is going to walk actually directly up to to um, Allison and the group that she is a part of at the moment and just go, I don't know your relation to Uncle Carl, but uh, you, you might uh, want to go to the hospital. I know I will be heading there sooner rather than later. What? What? Gigi! Gigi, come here! Uh, Gigi! I put my shoulder in front of Allison as if to protect her. What do you mean by that? William, we were in uh, we were in a car accident. If you would give me a moment to change, um, I would be happy to explain more in detail. Uh, but I would really like to get out of my blood soaked. So, which is it? Should we hurry to the hospital or wait for you to change? I believe that is your decision, and William's going to go to his room and change. Yeah, William says that, and then he walks off, followed by Kit, uh, who looks a little battered up. And uh, Jason, you were able to catch that uh, that little conversation too. Skeen's there as well. Alice, Allison, let's go to the hospital. I imagine that Skeen and I were still kind of near each other. Um, and at that point, I look over at Skeen, and I imagine Skeen looking over at me, and both of us at the same time kind of realizing 
and nodding and saying, we got to go check on Carl. So you guys, what, pile into the Wrangler? Wrangler? Yeah. What's there, four of us? That'll fit in a Wrangler. If you would, my dear cousin, we'll figure it out. So you guys leap in the Wrangler and uh, head off. William, Kit, uh, what, uh, what is your plan, William? Are you going to go back down? The others seem to be gone. If you go back out to check on them, you can actually see the a blue Jeep uh, pulling out of the driveway. Probably by that point, they probably discussed for a little while. Seeing this and seeing the ambulance, William is concerned um, that Carl Kane uh, might be alive. And I would like to use uh, dark magic to assault him from afar, making it look like he died in the hospital while they were in transit. You'll need something of Carl's for that, but I believe you have that uh, since you are covered in blood or were covered in blood a moment ago. And now there's probably a a towel in your room that uh, is like that. Go ahead and let's see. Oh, but you just rolled last, didn't you? Oh, I did. That means Richard gets to roll his protect. So Richard gets to roll Carl's protect against your passive black magic. Ooh, here we go. Uh, 13 plus 6 is another 19. Wow. Carl really will not die. <laughs> uh, that's that's going to be interesting uh, because my passive dark magic is also 19. That means that, uh, let's see, uh, tensions are high. That is an assault protect. Carl, I actually can't affect that, but how many uh, survival points do you have left? Um, I haven't actually spent any, so I still have the three and then the one different colored one. You have a lot of survival points. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on trying to make them go away. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this was a risk check. So describe this magic to me, William. Uh, what William does is he takes uh, sort of this towel coated in Carl's blood, um, and he just he places his hand on it, and sort of this uh, green and black smoke starts to slowly kind of emanate around it like a like a small cloud, um, and then it sort of go- it goes into this towel, and all the blood on the towel turns into like turns black and rotten, almost like it's been festering and coagulating for months. And then a little bit of that happens to Carl as well. William, you feel the magic uh, flowing out of you. And you feel it like you feel Carl rotting almost as the magic is. It takes a hold of him. But you you don't know his state at this point. Mm -hmm. Okay. You are aware that that the magic isn't always um, perfect or immediate. Um, the question remains, then what do you do? William, uh, he's going to go to the bank and see what his, uh, his dear great uncle left him. William, you are taking the, uh, dogs and Kit or just you? What are you, what, what's going on? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take Kit. I was thinking about bringing the dogs, but I figured they probably won't let him into a bank. So. It's Spirit Bay. <laughs> well, if I've gotten that, that feeling, then absolutely I'm going to go take my dogs for a walk as well as Kit. They have two police cars. Very true. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take the dogs with me. So William takes the dogs and Kit for a walk, and you're actually able to secure a car from the the lodge, if you would like. It's not a great car, but uh, it's one that you could borrow from them to go into town. I would be happy to take it. 
And so you drive into town and uh, head down to the um, the bank. You pass by the little clinic where you presume Carl is lying in deathly repose. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, the bank is not an imposing structure. Uh, the main street of of Spirit Bay is classic Pacific Northwest. It's uh, it looks almost like an old west town, but but updated. Uh, with uh, most of the buildings are two stories, some are three. A lot of brick fronting, a lot of almost faux gables that block view of a, a flatter roof, but still slanted so that the snow and rain will will flow off of it. Uh, and this is just one of those buildings in between a couple of shops, and it just says Spirit Base Savings and Loan. And you go inside, and uh, Wolfgang gave you the key to the uh, safe deposit box. Uh, he's going to go inside, and uh, he's going to tell Kit to stay outside and watch the dogs, as he is one to do. Yeah, okay. I'm probably I'm probably going to just like take a nap here in the car. Is that okay? All right. Yeah, you can take a nap in the car. All right. He's going to then head inside and check what's in that safety deposit box. A banker takes you back in the back and then pulls out the correct box and puts it onto a table. Uh, you need anything else, uh, uh, Mr. Kitteridge? Um, do you all do any transfers from more mainland banks? I was hoping to be able to pull out some money here. Um, certainly we can do that for you, sir. All right, if you would be so kind as to pull about $300 for me, that would be delightful. Um, certainly. Uh, may I just uh, have your ID, sir? Absolutely. And then he passes over the ID. And, uh, he goes out to do that. Now I can privately look and see what's in this, this, this box. William. You put the key in the safety deposit box and open it. Inside is a book. It is an ancient book. The cover is gnarled, maybe even made of the skin of something, and the words emblazoned on it, or rather embedded in it, are Deifica Mortalis. William is instantly on edge. Instantly on edge. But it's too late, really, because... The book opens, and you can almost hear Lazarus Kane's voice in your ear. And maybe you can, as he says, Enjoy your book, boy. And then tendrils of black smoke writhe up and out of the book and the safety deposit box that it's in and wrap around you, filling the room with a haze of corruption and malevolence. Make a protect roll. Oh, no. Why a protect <laughs> roll? <laughs> I am so bad at that one. Oh, boy. All right. Well, I I am not joking. I rolled two ones. <laughs> I have a total of four. Your other survival token turns dark. Out in the car, the dogs howl. The Gothic Podcast is an actual play audio drama produced by C. Patrick Nagel, starring C. Patrick Nagel, Sharon Gallery Lafournaise, Jesse Baldwin, and Nathan Addison. Theme music is by Zoe Hovland, with cover artwork by Jared George Art. Season 2 of The Gothic Podcast uses rules from the Monster of the Week RPG by Michael Sands and the Dead of the Night RPG by Steam Power Publishing, written by Andrew Kenrick. 
Look us up by name on all the social medias or email us at thegothicpodcast at gmail.com. Support for The Gothic Podcast comes from you, our listeners, so please rate, review, and share. And we have a Patreon page, too. Thanks for listening. You boys need a ride, looks like, because I'm from the South, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Crap, it's too late. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs>